Looking for practical information to help you make decisions about your diagnosis, whether DCIS, early or metastatic breast cancer? BCNA's My Journey features articles, webcasts, videos and podcasts about breast cancer during treatment and beyond to help you, your friends and family as you progress through your journey. It also features a symptom tracker to help you manage the changing symptoms you may encounter during your own breast cancer experience. My Journey. Download the app or sign up online at myjourney.org.au. Let's be upfront about the challenges of accessing specialised breast cancer treatment when living in rural, remote and regional areas of Australia. A breast cancer diagnosis is difficult enough and many people from these areas often experience additional hardship and stress. Joining us for this episode of Upfront are Sandy Vlatko and Asha Scott. Sandy is a McGrath breast care nurse who's based at Kalgoorlie Health Campus located 595 kilometres east of Perth. Asha was diagnosed with breast cancer in 2018 and had to travel to Perth for a large part of her treatment, including surgery, IVF and radiation. Sandy helped support and navigate Asha's complex medical situation and organise her treatments away from home. This episode of Upfront About Breast Cancer is an unscripted conversation with our guests. The topics discussed are not intended to replace medical advice, nor necessarily represent the full spectrum of experience or clinical option. So please exercise self-care when listening, as the content may be triggering or upsetting for some. Welcome to you, Asha and Sandy. Thanks for having us. Thank you, Kelly. Asha, it must have been an awful shock being 34, just married and diagnosed with breast cancer. Did you know where to turn? No. Um, It's not something that you get taught at at schools or, you know, being young, it's not something that um, I was aware young people would get. I thought it was, you know, an older person's disease. So... Yeah, not not having much information at the time when diagnosed, it was um, it was pretty scary. Very, yeah, very uh, gut punching. Hmm. Did you know what you had to do, and how did you find out where to get the best resources and uh, support? My local GP um, delivered the news to me, and from there, she said that someone would get in contact with me. Um, from our local hospital and obviously from there that's when I um, met up with Sandy and Sandy was the one that literally did everything from there on in until I finished. So it was, yeah, she had all the information, all the resources available for me. She, yeah, she, she did everything that allowed me to be sick for the time being. So, What were some of the things that she did for you? Oh, my gosh. My husband and I talk about this all the time. We have no idea how she did it all. She would fill in my calendars. She would organise my treatments. She, um, I mean, she, she went as, when I was actually away in Perth, she even organised for me to have a facial done down there. So it was, you know, there was lots of little things that she did. Support, she organised my psychiatrist for me, counselling, 
uh, physiotherapy, chemotherapy, radiation, a lot. And all on the run too. So we were on the road sometimes getting phone calls from her and she'd, she'd oh, don't forget to do this and I've got you in for this. So it was, yeah... Sandy, that's uh, a facial. That's certainly going above and beyond, isn't it? I think there's a, um, at the Charles Garden Hospital in the city, there's a a wellness centre that um, looks after our cancer patients when they're in the city. Well, so often, you know, you don't know until you know. And and like Asha just said, she had no idea what she needed, uh, let alone how to go about doing that. Is, is that an extra challenge for people in regional and remote areas that they don't really know what they need? I think it definitely is. And I think just navigating the health system. And often the doctor in Perth doesn't necessarily look at their address. And so we'll book a, a scan um in May and then book something else two weeks later. And so I'm constantly looking at the computer and seeing what appointments the patients have and then contacting the clerks in Perth and saying, look, this person's got a long way to travel. Can you coordinate these appointments better? Okay, so when you say a long way to travel, that means different things for for different people. Asha, for you, it was a seven-hour drive, wasn't it, to Perth? Yeah. Definitely. Um, sometimes it would be a nighter trip, a day trip. Um, but for the, the more longer treatments that I had, say, um, for radiation and my surgery, uh, Sandy organised. There's two lodges in Perth that you can actually stay at um, for regional patients. So, Sandy organised for us to go and stay there and that that took away a lot of the costs for accommodation um, as well as, you know, using the PATS, the patient assistant uh, travel scheme, uh, you know, to give us fuel money for there and back. So, you know, it took a lot of that stress away from, um, you know, having to go down there, do all your appointments, your scans, poked and prodded and, yeah, it just, it just took that little bit away from you so you didn't have to worry about it. Mm. Like you just mentioned, Sandy, because so many have such long distances to travel, to make those appointments concentrated must add to their stress, does it? I think it does. uh, But it's more about um, the patient uh, frequently will come back after their first consult and then get a, a letter saying that they needed to be down there two days previously, the system just needs uh, someone to coordinate that system so that they don't get back to Kalgoorlie and then get a letter saying you needed to be there yesterday. Yes, that, that's not helpful. What are some of the other challenges that those in uh, remote areas face? I think there's a challenge accessing uh, clinical psychology services, uh, to access it in the public sector, you know, they're not going to get assistance to travel down for a clinical psychology appointment. So it's got to be done on the phone, which is not as effective as in person. And uh, definitely being away from family and friends and not all... Ash is very blessed. She's got a wonderful husband, but not all (laughs) patients have someone like that who's a support person for them. So, Ashley, your family are not in 
Kalgoorlie. What was it like to be separated from them during such a, a big event? Well, I, um, my, I, my family is actually in Kalgoorlie. They just weren't in Perth. So when I had to do radiation, I was essentially separated from everyone for six weeks. Um, and then that killed me because um, my husband had to go back to work, obviously, because we had bills to pay. And, you know, we had all our animals here. And, yeah, it was very um, it was very lonely, um, especially being my age. I was definitely the youngest person at the lodge at the time. So it was, you know, different um, uh, different stages of life I was in compared to the other people. So... It was very hard to talk to someone sometimes, um, but you know the 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 resources that they had at the lodge themselves. You know, you could talk to people. There was, you know, obviously helplines that you could talk to as well. You had other patients that were from regional, like far out regional communities that I'd never even heard of before, uh, that had travelled further than what I had and facing a lot worse than I was. So. So being, like you said, being away for six weeks is a real stretch. Sandy, is that the reality for people that do live, you know, remotely, that you have to spend large chunks of time away for home, either for surgery or, or radiation? Uh, it is the reality. I think we are lucky in Kalgoorlie as opposed to other areas and we do have a chemotherapy unit here. So we've got a five-bed chemotherapy unit and we have two medical oncologists that visit from one of the major regional hospitals. I know that in other areas um, in the far north of Australia where, you know, it's a, a two-day drive to Perth and there's no chemo unit there and chemo is often given every two weeks or every three weeks, that's a lot of travel. So I think the good thing about Kalgoorlie is we do have that facility here. So how can the system support those that do have to travel? Is it is it through financial support? What about those that have childcare? What are the ways that people can reach out to get the information and support that they need? I think uh, connecting with the McGrath Breast Care Nurse, they're going to know all the resources that are around and what's available in that specific community because it's, it's very different for each community. What we have available in Kalgoorlie is different to what we've got in Kununurra, which is different to what is in Bunbury. And so having a regional nurse on the ground who knows what resources are available for that specific region is invaluable. And as far as assistance schemes, what are the things that are offered to people? We've mentioned accommodation. What are some of the other things? So the Cancer Council have um, accommodation available in two lodges in Perth, which is fantastic. And uh, the government have supplied a thing called PATS, which is patient-assisted travel scheme, which if the patient's having surgery, they will pay for a flight. Um, if it's just a doctor's appointment, they'll only give the patient, um, or they'll give the patient taxi, oh, sorry, not taxi, um, fuel vouchers or train fare. Um, the train is seven hours. Um, not always appropriate for our patients who are in pain or experiencing nausea after chemotherapy. Not perfect, but it's 
it's called patient-assisted travel because it's assisted, not completely supplying all the needs of the patient. Yeah, and as you um, mentioned, it's not always perfect and neither is internet. So sometimes that can be a, a bit of an issue too or in um, IT literacy amongst uh, people in your community. Definitely. I think uh, especially if they're coming from outlying regions, um, a lot of our Indigenous women are coming from as far away as um, 10 hours drive uh, it's called the lands and out there there's very little internet and it's very difficult to connect with them and bring them in for their appointments. Mm. Do you find when it is so much harder to access medical help that people tend to uh, not get the care that they need? Do they find it all too hard? I think that um, one of the roles of the McGrath nurse is to be constantly advocating for your patient and I've just been to a support group and I'm encouraging the women there to go for their mammogram every 12 months, go for their clinical examination every six months. Alternatives to going to Perth is to find a good GP in the community who can organise those things for them. Asha, we've mentioned that you had to travel seven hours. That's a lot of thinking time when you have uh, breast cancer. It took a long time for you to get your initial test results and there was a, a lot to organise. What did you do to uh, kill the time? <laughs> well, actually, funnily enough, um, our plan was after we got married was to have kids. So we literally, we'd spent hours in the waiting rooms of doctors, uh, officers, uh, just picking out baby names. That was our, that was the one thing that we actually helped get us through a lot of it. Cause you know, you, you travel seven hours and it was always just, You'd always be thinking about the what ifs and what happens and, you know, should we prep for this? Should we, you know, prepare for that? And so, yeah, you, you tend to find other things that you can concentrate on. And then that was one of the things was, you know, Sandy always said, you know, it's, it's the quality of life. You know, you've got to look beyond your cancer treatment. Like, what do you want to do after it? And that was one of the things that yeah, we thought of was just every time we'd be waiting around, we didn't want to think about the doom and gloom. We'd just start picking out baby names. <laughs> and you did have fertility treatment prior to starting your um, treatment for your breast cancer. How did you know to do that? So we, as we were starting on our on my journey, you know, we were prepping for um, surgery and, and you know, then we're going to do chemotherapy, then radiation, then hormone therapy after that. But somewhere in the prep time before it, um, Sandy actually stopped and said, oh, um, you guys wanted to have a family? or And we went, oh, yeah, we did. Uh, we, we didn't even think to ask about any of that because it was just all this medical info getting chucked at us. So we just thought oh, my gosh, yeah, we totally didn't even think of that. So Sandy said, okay, well, look, we'll actually get you to do IVF before we start your chemotherapy. So we'll get your, your surgery done first. Um, and then we've got a small window where we can try and get and save as many eggs as we can 
so that after your treatment, you can you can try and have a family afterwards. And then that's basically what Sandy did. She she organised the IVF, told us where to go, where to be, who to see, and and yeah, and that's we had two weeks to fit in IVF. <laughs> BCNA's helpline provides a free, confidential phone and email service for people diagnosed with breast cancer. BCNA's experienced team will help with your questions and concerns and provide relevant resources and services. Call 1800 500 258 or email contact at bcna.org.au. So I think there's the the, um, Cancer Council put out... um, timelines for when is the ideal time to start chemo after surgery and it's kind of like a um, four to six week window that you need to see assess what the patient's needs are before they start the chemo as the chemo can affect egg production and so on especially the gozzarellin that Asha was on. Uh, which proved to be true as well. And, and not only was that such valuable advice from Sandy because the focus quite rightly is on on your health, but you don't want to get further down the track and, and wish that you'd taken some proactive treatment. But Asha, tell us where you're at now. <laughs> well, I'm six months pregnant now. <laughs> so yeah, that the whole chemo unit was uh, cheering and Tim Tans were getting thrown around the bed. <laughs> in celebration. <laughs> so, and now we're stuck for baby names. So, um, <laughs> I thought you spent all those hours picking baby names. Oh, Did you not write some I down? I thought I was emotional going through chemotherapy, I tell you. Um, no, yeah, so we, um, a- as you mentioned, yeah, so the, the chemotherapy did, did um, affect my ovaries. And it was luckily, luckily that we actually put some away. So, uh, yeah, so we used one of those, and yeah, we're we're expecting a little boy in uh, late January, early, early February, which is yeah. is just lovely. And the two of you have clearly formed a, a wonderful uh, friendship and and trusted uh, relation. Yeah, well, I mean, Ash is um, such a wonderful person and she's been so resilient throughout this, such a young age to be diagnosed. Um, but she's reached out and she's accepted help when it's been offered and that's that's a, a major way of navigating this whole journey. What are some of the other things that affected you, Asha, in in that period of you uh, being diagnosed, having surgery, having treatment, what, apart from the physical impact of treatment, did the travelling and the stress impact you as well? Yeah, it did. I think being so young as well, like you, you're still very social with your friends and, you know, I there was a lot of things I missed out on, a lot of um, my nieces and nephews' birthdays that I couldn't go to, Um you know, as much as I tried to get out and do what I could, I think it was just more, um, it was very, very emotional for me. Um, yeah, like I said, every time I'd see Sandy, I'd be like, oh, yeah, you know, and it was, she was like, it's okay, do this, you'll be fine. <laughs> so, yeah, it was, she wasn't just my, um, you know, my McGrath nurse, she was also um, 
counsellor. She was not just counsellor to me, also to my husband. You know, they, they do such a, a great job um, helping people and and supporting. I think, I think yeah, just that whole support because it does... Sandy's support doesn't just finish when you finish your treatment. You know, she does all these support groups afterwards that uh, there's some women that have been turning up for the last five, six years, you know, because they... It's just that support network in our community that's um, that makes it all that more bearable to get through because it's such a traumatic experience. Yeah, and, and such a valuable go between your healthcare specialists too to really connect them and make sure that everybody is on the same page and up to date on, on what's happening with your treatment. Oh, absolutely. Sandy, do you remember that time we were actually sitting in the doctor's and I had an oncology uh, meeting and he would be talking to me and I'd be nodding my head going, oh, yeah. And then I'm looking at Sandy and Sandy would then take the reins and explain a lot to me. So, yeah, so it was kind of, uh, yeah, she was the buffer. She was the in-between person that really... um, uh, delivered that information in such a way that I could understand and and that I wasn't fearful after that. Mm. That communication is is so important. How how do you facilitate that, Sandy, in your area? I think that you're meeting with the patients when they're having their chemo, and so they're telling you the things they're not coping with, and then when they get into the doctor, it can be intimidating. And the doctor will say, have you had issues with that? And they'll say, no, I haven't had any issues with that. But you'll go, yes, you have. Remember, you told me on Tuesday that you've had huge issues with that. So just reminding the patient so that they can get supportive therapies to get through their chemotherapy, particularly with ASHA because we were giving her chemotherapy for curative intent. I wanted her to try and get through it. Yeah. Asha, what were some of the other services or support schemes that assisted you apart from uh, travel? Uh, so I actually struggled, like being young, you know, I went and bought that car and, you know, had a couple of loans. So I think financially I was struggling there for a little bit because, you know, I had the banks calling me up and I was missing repayments and, that was starting to get to me um, quite emotionally as well. So I actually didn't realise that um, after staying at one of the, the Cancer Council lodges, there was a pamphlet there that actually had, you know, the financial hardship. Um, and it also gave me information. You know, I did not know that I could just call up my banks and say, hey, look, this is what's happening to me at the moment. And what they did was they actually... Um, stopped the repayments for X amount of time until I was better to be able to go back to work and and start paying them off again. So, you know, that was something that I didn't even think about, um, you know, because my employer's uh, insurance didn't kick in for about three months. So we were living off our honeymoon money and, you know, what savings that we had, very little after a wedding, I mind you, but... Yeah, it was it was very um very stressful. Mm. Sandy, what are some of the gaps in the service that that still exist, and how do people overcome them? I think um, 
As I've mentioned already, there is a gap for trained clinical psychologists um, in the health system. There's such a long waiting list for that support. I think that uh, there's, there is a gap even with that accommodation. It's not always available. It's fully booked. And then you've got to try and Pats will assist the patient, but you've got to try and help the patient get into uh, private accommodation. Um, and I think there's a gap in that. Um, I think it would be fantastic if there were volunteer escort, you know, patients support people that could travel with the patient to Perth and help them navigate getting a taxi or whatever they need to do when they're feeling so unwell. Yes, because Ash was really fortunate that she had a husband that could make the trips with her. Not everybody has that. Yeah, that's right. And um, particularly in the regional setting, uh, especially in Kalgoorlie, it's a mining town. Most people are both working in couples and it's hard to get a friend that can come with you. And we do have a young population in Kalgoorlie because it's a mining town. It's not those volunteers in the community. Yeah. Is there access to childcare support and how do people with with children try and get that organised while they have to travel such long distances? Not that I'm aware of. There's a long waiting list for the childcare in town and uh, in the past I've um, suggested that they get um, a, parent, a grandparent come to help them with that uh, if it's appropriate because there is a, a real lack of childcare. Yeah. Uh, to your point about the psychological uh, wait list, it, it is such an important part of uh, a breast cancer or any cancer experience is to look after your mental health. And BCNA has a podcast with uh, cancer specialist psychologist, Dr. Charlotte Topman. So that is a, a series that can really offer some insight and maybe some strategies to help those that can't get to, to see uh, a psychologist, whether it be in person or via tele telehealth. As you said, there's a big wait list. Asha, yeah. what advice would you give to others having treatment uh, in rural and remote regions? What, what are your key takeaways? Um, I think it was more communication. Uh, keep that line of communication open with, you know, your your nurses, your healthcare provider, your GP. As long as they are aware of what you're going through, what you're feeling, um, they can give you assistance or they can give you information that can make your life just that little bit easier to get through such a really traumatic time, you know. it's Because it's not just you that's going through it as well. It's also your family, um, your loved ones that, that are feeling the ripple effects as well. So that was probably one thing. And, and also just... Yeah, just daily prevention. Make sure that you, you check yourself before you, you know, you know your own body. Yeah, and so, Sandy, you've been doing this for four years now. What's What do you really enjoy uh, about the job? I just enjoy um, helping people. I know that sounds like a cliche, but I just think that they often come to you. They have heard all the information from the various medical specialists but they have trouble interpreting it. And I talk to them about how 
breast cancer, if found early, is highly treatable. And when they hear the word cancer, they often freak out, but I try to allay their fears by talking about the statistics of how treatable breast cancer can be. And, Asha, it sounds like you have a, a ready-and-waiting babysitter in Sandy. <laughs> <laughs> Forever. <laughs> we, well, you know, like, you, you get such a great rapport, you know. Like, you can hear Sandy coming down the hallways. Her laugh is just so... Uh, so iconic that every, everyone knows she's coming and, you know, you all get ready and she comes in and, you know, uh, she does the rounds with everyone. Hi, how you doing? It's like, you know, you, you get your five minutes to stand and you feel better for it, you know, and I have no idea how she keeps tabs on everyone. <laughs> and so clearly the, it's it's support. Support is, is really important for, from particularly people like Sandy. Absolutely. Um, you know, and, and how do you, how do you thank someone like Sandy? You, you, you name your firstborn after her. (laughs) 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 You know, it's, um, yeah, it's, you, you get a, you, you get a, a connection with that person for life. You know, like I said, to um, many people, she may see a thousand faces, but I'll remember her for the rest of my life. Yeah, that's nice. Thank you. Thanks, Sasha. Thank you both for joining us and uh, we wish you well, Asha. This podcast was brought to you with thanks to Cancer Australia. BCNA's My Journey also has a range of resources for people living in rural, regional and remote areas affected by breast cancer and the treatment. So sign up by visiting myjourney.org.au. And BCNA's online network is also a fantastic resource with an online peer-to-peer support community that's open 24 hours, seven days a week, and you can connect with others going through a similar experience. To join, visit bcna.org.au. Thanks for joining us. I'm Kelly Curtin. It's good to be upfront with you.